Hi, I'm Steve Mabb, Chair of the Australian Shareholders Association, and we're proud to be hosting the 2024 Investor Conference in Melbourne from the 19th to the 21st of May. And we're stoked that Phil, the host of this podcast, is going to be our special guest MC. If you haven't heard much about the ASA Conference, it's a flagship event that attracts around 300 investors and industry professionals, including the Chair of National Australia Bank this year, the Chair of AGL. We have Dr. Sam Hupert, the founder and CEO of Primedicus, and we've also got Richard White, the founder and CEO of WiseTech coming along, along with many others. For a limited time, new members can enjoy special pricing on registration for the upcoming conference, along with a complimentary 12-month digital membership with the ASA. That's two-day conference registration plus one-year ASA membership for $499, a saving of $150. Simply search for Australian Shareholders Conference Register, click on two-day conference non-member, enter the discount code MEM, as in member, 499, the number's 499, so that's MEM 499 to claim your special offer. Come along and meet me and Phil at the conference. We look forward to seeing you there. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of Shares for Beginners. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Shares for beginners. Phil Muscatello and FinPods are authorized reps of Money Sherpa. The information in this podcast is general in nature and doesn't take into account your personal situation. The mission I'm on to, to spread the word about this way of investing it's not so much to get people to invest the way i do but it's to teach them that you can have a framework you can have a system to look at the numbers and the facts of what's out there and not the stories don't get lost in all the noise Uh, and you can put together a portfolio which which beats the market do it yourself g'day and welcome back to shares for beginners i'm phil muscatello what's a fudge factor and how can pulled pork help your stock picking what's the first rule of investing I'm always pleased to welcome back to the microphone, Tony Kynaston from the QAV Investing Podcast. G'day, Tony. Hi, Phil. Thanks for inviting me back. So Tony's average return on his portfolio over his investing career has been double market average, thanks to the QAV Investing Checklist system he developed. Now, before we dive into QAV and your zen of choosing shares to buy, I want to pick up on a couple of recent topics from the podcast and specifically greenwashing, which has been a real interesting topic. And um, it's really to do with super funds is the first court case, isn't it? Yeah. So the regulator is cracking down on greenwashing and they claim there's been lots of complaints from people saying, hey, I've invested my superannuation with this fund or that fund because of their green credentials, but then I find out they've been investing in oil stocks or coal stocks or uh, pubs or, you know, whatever they don't like. And I guess that's a point worth making. Everyone's got their own moral red line, so it's going to be different for for all people. The regulator's taking action against Mercer over Mm. one of these funds, and I guess we should be careful to say that the allegations haven't been proven in court. They haven't been taken to court yet. Yeah, yeah but, they are, but they are being taken to court. So it's a bit of by beware with all this. But I think the interesting thing is that 
there's not that much transparency in the industry. Um, so if you're told it's a green fund, it's very rare that you actually see what stocks are under the hood. Um, and you know there are would, would you say that? Would you say that in a super? Surely you'd be out. Have there'd be some sort of transparency, wouldn't there? You'd think. I haven't been in a super fund for a long time, but because <laughs> yeah. I run my own SMSF, but you'd have to I dig was, pretty deep, I yeah, guess, wouldn't you? They yeah. never disclosed. Yeah. Sometimes they disclose what the top holdings were, mm-hmm. but they often just say, "Here's the return on the growth fund. Here's the return on the balance fund, etc., mm. etc." Et you know, for the quarter or the half, or whatever period they're reporting on. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it is Bibleware. There are services out there which will do deep dive research into companies and, and recommend them or not based on ESG concerns, but that costs a fair bit of money because they, mm. they're doing a fair bit of work. And then there are people out there who put together a, an index fund minus a handful of stocks that are obviously of concern to people who are you know, you know, into investing um, sustainably, and, and that can be a cheaper way of doing it. And then there are people who are just claiming that they do it and they're not really doing it. And and they mm. could probably have their reasons because, as I said, they might decide that one stock isn't suitable or they might decide that one stock is suitable, but you may have a different perspective. So it's a fairly complex issue. And I, personally, I think the only way to solve it is to be transparent with the holdings in the underlying fund. Mm. And sometimes those funds, the ones that are basically just doing an, an index fund minus a few, they're yeah. charging a bit more in fees as Correct. well for yeah. basically not a lot of extra work. That's right. Yeah. That, that's, I remember my stockbroker saying it was the, the greatest business model was to take an index fund and take out six or seven stocks and call them the SG fund and, and put the fees up. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. So in terms of your own investing, you haven't shied away from investing in coal and energy stocks. What are your thoughts on ESG in general in terms of personal investing? Yeah, well, like I said, I think everyone's got their own red line. Um, For me, it would be like investing, I wouldn't invest in a tobacco company, Mm. um, but they aren't any listed anymore in the Australian market. Um, They've got great dividends, haven't they, in America? That's right. I mean, it's it's an interesting thing, isn't it? That Mm. you are you achieving your aims by not investing them because the tobacco companies all left the Australian market because of the focus on their their um, health issues mm. uh, but they continue to do what they do and now they don't have anyone looking at them doing it so it, it potentially if, you, if you're trying to achieve your outcomes you've actually made it easier for them to to succeed uh, because they're not getting any sort of transparency mm. focus mm. that they would get in a listed market um, so it's interesting in terms of coal and energy. I mean, I, I used to work for an oil company. Um, I know that you know, I, I'm a supporter of reducing climate change or eliminating climate change if we can and moving to sustainable and green energy, but it's going to take time. And I know the oil industry is too. They, they want to do it as well. So for me, it's it comes down to how does me not buying a share in a coal company actually help climate change? And it doesn't because somebody else will buy it. Mm. And I'm missing out on the returns. And to put some context on it, this may be a temporary situation in the market, but if investors are putting pressure onto the energy sector not to reinvest and, and develop oil fields or coal mines or whatever, and and the banks are having pressure on them to not lend to the companies to do that, then there's less coal and oil in the market. However, we still use as much coal and oil as we always have. So guess mm. what? The price goes up. So it's a, it's a basic law of economics that it ignores emotions. So yeah. Not only am I not doing anything to help climate change by not buying the stock, I'm also hurting my returns. So that's my position on it. I believe that 
climate change is best handled by governments and regulators because the participants have a vested interest in not doing it, So, um, even if they have good intentions. I think um, I've just heard recently, sorry, this just popped into my head, there's a carbon credit ETF that's uh, come to market. Oh, I'm not surprised. That, yeah, yeah. Um, carbon credits, and um, I think, are about to be legislated mm. at the moment. They are available at the moment, the Australian carbon credits, uh, and so there's a market for them. Mm. And, and companies, I think, under the new legislation proposed, will be f- obliged to buy them. So it, it's it's going to be a large liquid market. Mm. And that's a good point, Phil. We're talking about ESG. <clears throat> As I said before, there are companies who will put together what's called a positive ESG fund. So they're only picking the stocks that will positively impact on Mm. climate change or biodiversity or whatever the particular issue is, which is a small universe, really. But And it requires a lot of deep research to make sure that those companies are doing what they say. And that's different to, as we said, a negative ESG fund, which is removing the stocks, which is a much easier thing to do. Mm. And there's something in between. I mean, there are companies out there which, you know, claim that they're doing the right thing from climate change. And the classic example is a big... um, a big mining company who might have different classes of mines, so iron ore and copper and gold and and all those things, and they'll offload their coal mines and say, aren't we great? We've we've done something for climate change. Well, Mm. no, they've sold it to somebody else and the mine's still running. So, you know, I think think the regulator's doing a good job to look at all these issues. And I believe Macquarie Bank is going in boots and alls into renewable energy as well, and a lot of their investments are in renewable energy projects, aren't they? Yeah, well, there's certainly, there are funds out there and companies out there who do it, and they focus on wind farms, for mm-hmm. example. I guess it's a nascent industry and in development of solar farms, and, and I guess also the lithium industry for electric batteries and things like that. So yeah, it is possible to find companies who are doing it. You probably need a bit of help to know are they only doing that? Um, what mm. else are they doing? And also, too, what I've found is if you're investing in a new industry, it may take a long time to achieve the kind of returns that you want. So it may actually cost you as well. Um, if you're investing for ESG concerns, that's one thing. But if you're investing to beat the market, that's another thing. Okay, well, let's turn to QAV and the QAV system. Now, you've been on the podcast a few times in the past and explaining it, so we won't go through everything from the basics, including the checklist manifesto, which is a a great story. And also, I think one of the episodes that we did, I'm called Why? And it's about why should you own (laughs) this particular company? Mm -hmm. And it's great to have a reason to own this. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people just go in and they like the idea of something or they've heard the story of something. And this is really the basics of the QAV methodology that um, gives you a reason, doesn't it? A reason to believe, as they say. A reason to believe. Yeah, well, it's, it's based on the numbers um, rather than the stories because it's mm. my experience that uh, there's a lot of good stories out there and that the CEO's has a job to try and put their company in the best light. They're um, song and dance guys, aren't they? Men they're, and women. they're promoters. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And, and you'll see a lot of those in nascent industries like wind farms or... Um, lithium or whatever they're all mm-hmm. they're all biotech yeah they're all out mining, there to change the world the and they're going to be the next big yeah. thing and all that kind of stuff so yeah. but how do you how do you test that well you look at their numbers well i guess we're lucky we live in an age where data is easily available so we can get access to mm. the the p l's and the balance sheets um, and the sales of every company on the stock market we can drop them into excel and slice and dice so it's that filtering process and having a checklist and a framework which allows us to 
score every company, regardless of what their story is or what their prospects are, uh, and come up with a, a list of stocks to investigate further and to buy. And the numbers that um, are input into the spreadsheet are based on company reports, aren't they? But there's only certain mm-hmm. numbers in those company reports that you're interested in. Correct. And yeah, it's all about cre- free cash flow, I believe. Not free, operating cash flow. Operating cash flow, free, sorry. Free cash flow, I think, would probably give a similar sort of result. But mm. um, I focus on operating cash flow simply because it's the very first thing that's reported in, in all of those figures and in, in all of the, well, there's three basic statements that are called a set of accounts. There's the, the cash flow statement, the P&L, or statement of income as it's now called, and the balance sheet. As you go down through the top to the bottom, the management of the company have more and more latitude to make decisions about how those figures are reported and where they're reported. So, I mean, obviously a sale's a sale and costs a cost, but there is a lot of leeway before you get to the profit line, which allows a, a management team to put away provisions, for example, to provide for certain circumstances that may or may not happen, to bring them back from the balance sheet if they think that the situation's improved and that boosts profit and nothing else has changed. Depreciation, amortite, that list goes on of all the things that can be um, decided upon as to where they go, this half or next half or whatever. But cash is king. Cash is cash, and it's very hard to... There's, there's no almost no leeway in reporting that. So I look to cash flow as being one of the main metrics that I report on. And what are some of the other columns? Yeah, so we uh, come up with a couple of things called intrinsic values. So that's our valuations for the company. And we tend to use four of um, different ways of valuing a company because it's, it's pretty hard to land on the exact number and say this company is worth this down to the last cent. So we kind of produce a heat map based on earnings per share, based on the net assets of the company, um, the balance, so the balance sheet. Um, so you're either paying for assets or you're paying for earnings and you're, or you're paying for both. Um, so that so there's valuation metrics. We look at the yield of the company because if a, company's, a lot of companies don't pay yield and that's not a bad thing, so we don't score them negatively for that. But if a company's paying a yield and it's a reasonable yield, they're going to be loath to reduce it and it's a sign by management in the company, by the board, that they think that they can sustain this kind of level of profitability. So that's a good thing. We look at whether there's an owner founder in the company. Um, So I find that if the company is still run by someone who founded it, they're A, they're incentivized to not lose their life's work and assets, but also to they're really well established in the industry and know the players and know the turf and and they're probably a better operator than someone who's come in from outside. Because as we said, there's a lot of CEOs who are professional CEOs, I guess I'll call them. Mm. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, but, but they, they don't maybe have the 20 or 30 years of experience that a founder has in that particular field. Uh, so we're looking at those. Um, we're looking at things like, is, is the equity in the company consistently increasing for the last three years? Um, is this the lowest PE ratio in the last three years. So there's something like about um, around 20 mm. columns in the spreadsheet that we're used to score. Um, and we're scoring for both quality and value. So QAV. Yeah. And I've noticed that um, what comes up often are companies at the very, very small end of the, mm. the market. Okay. Yeah. And um, there's some, so many interesting stories down there. And there you is. You sometimes think that's the end of the market where they're all small startups, but some of these companies, I mean, I was just looking because I've, I've interviewed a, um, one of the major shareholders in Big River Industries, mm-hmm. for example, which is one that um, you mm-hmm. cover 
quite extensively, and that's been around for a hundred years. Yeah. Mm. No, definitely, and I think that's a bit of an advantage for the retail investor is if you can find a company that doesn't have a lot of broker coverage because it's on the small side, then um, you you can be the first one in. So to speak, and 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 ride along as it grows and gets discovered. So, I've had a couple of those over the years, and it's actually a, a thrilling ride to to watch it happen as it plays out. People need to be aware of liquidity, though. So I, I tend not to invest in those because my own funds um, now require me to invest in bigger stocks. Mm. Uh, but the beauty again of the checklist is you can filter it for the size of the company that you want to invest in. Um, you can filter it for all sorts of things. You can do your own ESG filter if you That's like right. Well. If you wanted to have an ESG yeah. fund of your own, you just sort of um, cut out the companies that you don't want to invest in. Correct. Yeah, and I guess that's yeah. the, I mean, that's the mission I'm on to spread the word about this way of investing. It's not so much to get people to invest the way I do, Mm. um, but it's to teach them that you can have a framework, you can have a system to look at the numbers and the facts of of what's out there and not the stories. Don't get lost in all the noise. Uh, And you can put together a portfolio which which beats the market. Mm. Do it yourself. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Super is one of the most important investments you'll ever make. But how do you know if you're in the best fund for your situation? Head to lifesherpa.com.au to find out more. LifeSherpa, Australia's most affordable online financial advice. So you used to be a serious investor. I still am. <laughs> Not quite so serious now that Cameron's on the scene. <laughs> and this is, I'm referring, of course, to the QAV Investing yeah. Podcast. Yes. And there's some terminology which has yes. come along. Josephine, mm-hmm. that's pretty self-explanatory, I guess. That, um, you know, uh, don't, don't buy the stock. Not tonight, Josephine. Yeah, not tonight, so Josephine. It's on our, it scores well on our mm-hmm. list, but the sentiment's against it at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And, and look, you know, a classic value investor will wait, will buy it and then wait for the sentiment to change. And they don't care if the stock price goes down by half and then comes back yeah. up, they'll wait. Um, I'd rather put the money to work in something which is going up. So mm. sentiment is a big a big part of our checklist procedure. Yeah. Is that part of the three-point trend line? That's what a three-point trend line is. You know, oh, okay. It's our yeah. version of, of using a moving average or mm-hmm. a fairly simple technical analysis to tell us when sentiment's going in favour of the stock or going against the stock. Yeah, but I love the three-point trend line because oh, okay. I'm a bit, of a bit of a fan of technical analysis. Okay. Yep. But to use that, and um, we won't go into the details here because we have talked about it, and it's a visual thing as well. Yeah, it's a bit hard. Right, yeah. But um, isn't it? It's just five years, monthly chart, mm-hmm. or sorry, monthly time frame line chart only no candles yeah that's yeah. right yep. yeah take the highest point the second highest point draw a line if the current price is above that line it's positive sentiment mm. take the lowest point and the second lowest point and draw a line if the current share price is below that i love the zoom negative. out of it the, yeah. the, you just get such a view of um of the stock over a period of time yeah because yeah. in the short term things move around a lot but mm. if you look at the five-year monthly you get a fair idea of the trend yeah. Anyway, back to some of the other factors. Fudge yeah. factor. <laughs> Fudge factor. Well, this is one that Cameron uses. He, he likes to tease me about it because sometimes I'll look at a graph and say, okay, it looks like a sell, but I'm going to fudge this one and just hold on for a bit longer and see what happens because it might be just below the sell line and mm-hmm. it may go back up again or it's not the end of the month and it might might do better 
in the in the in the future. So I haven't done a fudge for a long time. It's it's it, we've kind of nailed down the rules now to such a degree that we don't have much attitude to fudge. But yeah, that's what that is. It's it's saying okay, we got a checklist, we got all these rules, but you know this is a bit of a fifty fifty one. Let's let's fudge it and have a look. <laughs> okay, and yeah. pulled pulled pork. Pulled pork is just simply we're pulling apart the company and analysing it. So every week on our sh- on our QAV show, mm-hmm. uh, at least for our our subscribers and our club members, we um, we go into detail in one stock and talk about all the numbers, talk about what it does, what the risks are, what the sentiment is, how it scores, etc., uh, etc. Et yeah, which is a good way for people to understand how yeah. to value a company. Yeah, correct. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So rule number one, why is rule number one rule number one and what is rule number one? Well, rule number one is a famous Warren Buffett quote. Mm-hmm. Rule number one is don't lose money. Mm-hmm. Rule number two is see rule number one. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it's an important thing. Uh, so it's basically a, a, a 10% stop loss. Um, so if a stock, if I buy a stock and it, it drops 10% below the buy price or even if it goes up for a long time and then comes back to 10% below the buy price and we haven't sold it for some other reason, then I'll sell it. So it's 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 pulling the weeds, I guess. Um, I'd rather, again, take 90% of my capital and go and redeploy it in something which is going up rather than watching something drop. Because no matter how much an analysis you can do, you can just be wrong. Well, yeah. That, I mean, that's one of the interesting things is that uh, I, you know, I went back through my numbers and I get about six out of 10 right. And I've heard mm. Buffett say he gets about six out of 10 right. So not everything we invest in is going to go up. That's just... How yeah, it it's works. fantasy land. You can't do it. It is can fantasy it? land. Yeah, because yeah, the situation changes. Even if the numbers look good, I mean, that's the first thing to know is that we're using history to decide whether a company's good and they're traveling into the future mm. where things might change. So, yeah, uh, it's it's a six out of ten thing. The, the whole, I think, that's a that's a concept you have to get your mind around is that most investing is statistically based. You're putting together a portfolio of stocks, and on average, you you want that portfolio to improve. Not every single case. <laughs> and of course, we, um, we've both spoken to Simon Shepard recently and his mm-hmm. great quote, the first cut is the cheapest. Exactly. Mm, yeah. It is, no, isn't exactly. it? It's great. Uh, you know, yeah. just to have that kind of discipline. Yeah. Pull the weeds and let the flowers bloom. Yeah. And that can happen pretty quickly as well. It can. Yeah. Mm. So um, I, I find it psychologically. I find it useful to set alerts. So I'm just told when to do it and then I do it. And it is hard to do psychologically. Mm. Um, I, I mean, I've been doing it for years, so I get used to it. Um, but yeah, a number of one of the common questions we get because we take questions on the QAV podcast from our subscribers is, "Oh, I didn't sell when it dropped ten percent below my buy price, and now it's thirty percent down. What should I do?" So, yeah, yeah. go back in time and sell it when it drops ten yeah. percent. That's right, and um, this can be adjusted as well. The sell price as well, because yeah. do you take into account a dividend? Like if you've got it, yes. and the share price has dropped by the amount of the dividend. Is then your sell price adjusted? adjusted by that amount by the dividend and by the franking credit mm-hmm. depending on what structure you've bought it in that will have a different value but we're in dividend season now the companies have all just reported um, through february and then they go ex-dividend and pay their dividends and so generally when a company goes ex-dividend the share price will drop by the dividend amount because it's it's now doesn't have that dividend anymore so it's worth a bit less mm. uh, you don't want to fall into the trap of having it drop and cross one of our sell lines and then about a month later, get a check from them, and you go, "Oh, it was a dividend, so I shouldn't have sold." So yeah, so around yeah. this time, I'm I'm careful. So if it drops if, and it's a sell, I will check to see if it's ex dividend. Add that back to the share price, and chances are it's above the sell line after doing that. And we love it when stocks move into an index. Yes, <laughs> this is one of the great things, isn't it? 
Well, it's, it means they're going up. Like yeah, the, and, the and then suddenly uh, everyone else has to start buying it as well. The funds have to, the larger funds have to start Correct. buying it. Yeah, so in the ASX, there are, there are many indexes and most of them are based on the size of the company, so the market cap. So there's the All Ordinaries, which is most stocks, but not all stocks. ASX 300, 200, 100, 50, 20, mm-hmm. etc. And they're rebalanced once a quarter. Um, again, largely on market cap size. They do have some other issues around liquidity that they they will apply to the stock. So like if an owner founder still owns a large portion of the shock, even stock, even though the market cap's up, the liquidity is the important thing for the indexes. And yeah, so the, they generally give two weeks notice of when they're going to add or subtract something from an index, which gives, if you're eagle-eyed, it gives us a chance and other investors a chance to buy them because mm. once they do hit the index, then a particular fund manager who has a mandate to only buy the ASX All Ordinaries or the ASX Top 20 or whatever will have to buy them. And so there's buying in the market and so the price goes up. And the reverse is true that when you know if something's added to the Top 20, that means one's got to come out mm. and, and that the price can go down because of that too. It's an interesting phenomenon and it's been researched. And what I've found as well is that that bump lasts for a while, but it doesn't last forever. So once the instos have bought or sold, the price can settle down again to reflect its intrinsic value underneath. And, and that bump's not just happening on one day, is it? It can happen no. over a period of time yes, at different right. stages. Can't yeah. It? yeah. And sometimes you don't see the bump when it goes into the index because, as I said, people have worked it out beforehand. Mm. And some people even focus on working it out before the index providers make the announcement two weeks out so mm. they know this company is growing and it's market and they capital can, and they can see the where the numbers are heading and yeah yeah there is a good chance that it is going to get into yeah. the index yeah or the reverse they can see it's dropping and, and mm. they'll sell it before it has to be sold by the institutions yeah so the full qav club version has been around for a while yeah. so what um, what inspired the light version we had feedback from members saying love the doing it myself love learning the process but i'm busy i'm 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 a doctor, a lawyer, I run my own business. and Because it takes a lot of effort and commitment, doesn't it, the full QAV club version? Yeah, I think it yeah. takes a fair bit of effort to learn it. Um, and then the commitment's not as much time. Like I, I would spend sometimes only five minutes, mm. you know, um, looking at it. It gets a bit busy during company reporting season when there's... Because that's when all the numbers are being adjusted. New numbers yeah. come out and mm-hmm. the stocks tend to move on the new numbers, which makes sense. Yep. You know, companies come out with a good profit and the stock price is going to go up so a bit of work around that time but it is commitment and that's one of the things I tell our listeners when they start the process is you understand you're doing this for the rest of your life you need that you can't just do it for six months and then go I'll just leave it for a while and then come back and go oh look what's happened to my portfolio it's it's a, like going to the gym it's a, a health process a hygiene process you have to go through so we decided to start QAV light which is a cheaper option for um, for people. And we run some dummy portfolios because as we said before about transparency, we like to be fully transparent because it's one thing for me to say for the last 25 years I've been getting double market, but mm. you know, that hasn't been audited or, yeah, yeah, that's right. know, or, yeah. or out in the public eye. So we started up a dummy portfolio 
to trade or to invest QAV style about oh, September 2019, so three and a half years ago, and that's been getting double market or double two and a half times market since then. Mm-hmm. It's all transparent on our website. And then we also, about a year ago, set up some other dummy portfolio so that if you're a QAV Lite subscriber, you can trade along with us. And so you get an email when we buy something and you get an email when we sell something, and then you can mimic that kind mm. of trade and you know if you miss this one because you were busy then there's not going to be another one yeah yeah coming along and the benefit of that is a lot of um services tell you what to buy but they don't tell you when to sell it mm. and, and so the fact that you're following along with our our process means that we'll tell you when we we sell it and you can sell it as well if you, if you choose to um i'm a new user of light myself and i do realize it is actually not hands-off it's not completely hands-free right. is it you actually do have to um, follow and set up alerts for yourself. You've got to make sure that you're across the cell, you know, so that you don't breach rule number one, the most important yeah, rule right, of all. Yeah. There's a lot of work involved in it. Well, actually, it's not a huge amount of work, but mm-hmm. you do really have to keep an eye on it, don't you? Yeah, well, we do. We do have, like, as part of our training procedure, we say if we've recommended something and you didn't get to it for a couple of days and the price is materially different, mm. you've, got to, you've got to be able to track your own rule one price. So, Again, you might decide just not to buy that stock because mm. you, you missed it for whatever mm. reason. You went on holidays or whatever. Um, so we, we encourage people to try and buy as close as to our buy price as they can, and then they can use our sell to sell it. But but you don't have to, and you can set up your own alerts, and you can track your own rule ones mm-hmm. if you like. It's just as good. Yeah, yeah. And um, how about brokerage? How do you have to factor in the brokerage? Because what size, what kind of size portfolio would you be looking at to make sure that it's meaningful as opposed to the brokerage that you're paying and the costs involved? Oh, yeah, it's a good question. Um, I don't really know what the minimum size would be. I mean, online brokerage is fairly cheap these days. Mm. You can get $10 trades out there, which is what mm. we use in our dummy portfolio factors. I'm at the other end of the spectrum, and I use a full-service broker, and they charge a small percentage on every trade. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's along the way. So, no, we've got people out there who have probably... There's a few less than $100,000 portfolios out there that we know about, um, but most of them are 100000 and up. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not my portfolio. <laughs> <laughs> and some stocks, especially mining companies and so forth, they're dependent on commodity prices. Mm-hmm. And, well, I noticed in the Facebook group that there's been a lot of discussion about the price of wheat right, <laughs> affecting yeah. certain stocks in the um, grain corp, yeah. grain corp in the portfolio, yeah. and wh- what particular metric of the commodity prices to be used. So Correct. Yeah. Let's just have a bit of a discussion about how commodity prices do affect the QAV valuation system. Yeah. So if we can find an underlying commodity for a stock, um, and we and generally we find that the stock price of the company tracks the stock price of the commodity, which makes sense if you're a, a tin miner, you're going to follow the hmm. price of tin. Other things can change the stock price of the company because they, they could be you know, very good at running the tin mine or they could be merging with another miner or they could be, you know... Or they've got a great deposit of tin. Yeah, or they could yeah. just be about to announce their exploration has hit something. So, mm. yeah, so it doesn't always follow one-to-one. But generally, if it's, it's going to be hard for the tin miner to make improving returns if the price of tin is going down. So we use our three-point trend line system to track the underlying commodity, so mm. in that case, tin. Yeah. yeah. And what about Grain Corp in that particular instance? Because, like I said, you, you, there's a wheat price, but then mm-hmm. there's... What are those those different wheat prices? Yeah, so we do have to do a bit of research, and we, we do it and... And, and this is, this is great, is that, that uh, people who use are in the, the, the club 
yeah. ecosystem that they're actually looking at these sort of things yeah. and um, discussing it and trying to improve and sharpen Correct. the methodology. Yeah, because, I mean, commodities is a, is a big universe and there's wheat prices in America and wheat prices in Asia and wheat prices here. So we try mm. and take the relevant wheat price that matches the market that Grain Corp is serving into, which is mainly Asia and, mm. and Europe. Um, bit of Europe. So we use sites like Trading Economics to, to find that particular graph and then we we just watch it every month and, and, and track whether the sentiment's going in favour or against that particular commodity. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole universe of stocks out there. You mentioned Big River Industries before and so they their underlying commodity, we think anyway, is timber because mm. that's, that's what they do. They you know, produce... Um, timber products so yeah, <laughs> yeah. again if it's if, if lumber isn't selling so well it's hard for them to put their prices up so mm. um, yeah there's again there's there's commodities and a lot of things out there well fortescue is one of the great examples of it Correct. as well yeah, yeah. iron ore mm. yeah, which has had a great run mm. yeah it's a classic one for us because we had i owned fortescue metals but i mm-hmm. sold it when the iron ore price breached its sell line and the iron ore commodity price was as high as a, above $130 a tonne. It's now back below 100 I think it's around 80 85 a tonne. Um, and that does drive the, the margins of, the, of Fortescue and the other iron ore miners. And you can see that in their stock prices. They tend to track the iron ore price. Yeah, yeah. So is it that close? Does it relate that close, the price of the It's the never one-to-one because it's there's always other things yeah. going on. And, and Fortescue Metals Group now has the the Fortescue Future Industries component to it, so there's mm-hmm. another leg to it. Yeah. And if you look at some of the other big, bigger miners that have more than one type of commodity, you've got to look at what the predominant one is, mm. and, and um, that's generally the major impact on their share price. Yeah. And, so. and Fortescue has got a different grade of iron ore to, say, the BHPs it, or the Rios, it doesn't does, it? Yeah, yeah, it has a, a lower grade of iron ore, which mm. um, uh, can get blended with the higher grades by the electricity provider or even the smelter in some cases mm-hmm. yeah, overseas okay so at this point we'll put in the plug for uh, the promo code okay uh, if you use the promo code sfb as in sfb for shares for beginners uh, there's discounts available now with the light if you sign up for the light plan you'll get a month free and if you go for the full club version using that coupon code you get a 20 percent discount as well yeah, thanks, Phil. It's, it's, um, we certainly had a lot of people referred to us from Shares for Beginners, so that's great. Yeah. Well, this is what uh, um, we've been had a couple of dinners where we've chatted to people mm. who are actually listeners of this podcast mm. and who have been thanking me <laughs> for being introduced to QAV. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, no, that's it good. is nice. And yeah. it, it's, um, I mean, we don't want to push it to anyone, you know, consult a financial advisor before making any decisions, but um, yeah. No, we're not pushing it. We, um, we do have. The two levels of subscription. We do have discounts via Chefs for Beginners, which is great. Come along and have a listen. You can listen to the first half hour for free every week anyway. Mm. And there's a trial period as well if you'd like to try it out and decide whether it's for you or it's for, it's not for you. And that, I mean, that's an important thing because everyone invests differently. Some people just don't get the numbers. They'd rather listen to the stories and make their investments thematically. Um, so yeah, check it out and see if it's for you. Tony, thanks very much. It's been great to see you again. Thanks, Phil. Likewise. Yeah, it's always good to come around. And happy birthday. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thanks for listening to Shares for Beginners. You can find more at sharesforbeginners.com. If you enjoy listening, please take a moment to rate or review in your podcast player or tell a friend who might want to learn more about investing for their future. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 